Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Ben Emelyn Jones. Ben is an alternative researcher, novelist, and radio show host who founded the HPANWO, a website dedicated to the latest news, views, and reviews from the world of government cover-ups, ghosts, UFOs, hospital porters, paranormal investigation, hidden knowledge, forbidden history, and archaeology, chemtrails, and even hospital porters again. Ben, who has thousands of readers and listeners in his Critical Mass radio show, is well known for his video reportage containing his political comments and often uses satirical characters to get his point across. Ben, welcome to the show. Welcome, Ben. Yes. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for it's joining nice, us. It's always nice to get more UK people on, too. So we have a lot of people that listen from the UK. Oh, cool. We love our UK over the oh. pond. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of interesting people over here, yeah. Yes, and uh, of course, historically. I should start off by telling everyone I'm a bit kooky because I just got up and I almost stood these good gentlemen up from being asleep. So you're going to get a, a fresh, tarty side of me. Not tarty as in specific. Tarty, but, tarty. <laughs> 40 no, lashes tarty for you. And a little bit sour. Not sour in a bad way. See, this is how I go when I first wake up. Well, you go, girl. <laughs> anyway, so Ben, let's dive right in. Hi. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice to meet you both. Um, it's good to be on the show. And um, Well, uh, should I tell you a bit about myself? Well, if, you, if we could um, find out about the young Ben, like the very first stuff you remember in your life, the stuff right. that sticks out. Well, um, my my first memory, I remember actually, I was three years old when I first had a memory. And I was oh, in, I actually come from Wales, um, from West Wales. I'd have to do with a name like Emily Jones. Um, but I, my first conscious memory is when I was three years old. And um, I was living in a place called Lampeter, which is a small town, West Wales. And I suppose I was like... Um, I wouldn't say I was like an ordinary kid or anything. I, I always was a bit of an oddball, but uh, I didn't really, I wasn't kind of, I wasn't quite the tinfoil hat wearing lunatic I am today from, a, from my earliest days. Put it that way. None of us are. <laughs> oh, but we love how it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, it's always an interesting experience when you become one of these kinds of people. Indeed. Do you remember what the memory was? I was um, walking down the stairs in, in the house in, in Lampeter and I saw a beach ball fall out of a window. <laughs> and I think it was the window above. So I think my brother might have thrown a beach ball out the window. That's my first ever memory of being in that house. That's fantastic. I love that you have that. It's so lucid from um, the age of three. That's a lot of people really have... A hard time pulling in that kind of early stuff. Funny that I can't. I mean, I, I, I'm sure subconsciously I remember a lot more than what I learned, remember consciously. But yes, I I don't have any conscious memory of any time before then. Um, and indeed, even after that, I mean, it's, that's maybe that's the way the way human conscious memory works. But my memories. The thing is, my memories were a vague. Is I remember little bits and pieces, of course. And then the closer you get to the present the more you remember. But there, I have a couple of lacunae, you might say, in quite recent years. 
So, for example, there's a, there are periods of several times in my life that I don't remember, even quite recently, well, more recently, so for example, when I was in my first couple of years at the hospital, they were real blank, even though I remember much more clearly the, the years before then. It could be to do, I, I was taking several forms of medication, I think might have um, affected that. Yeah, yeah, of course. It, so in this, in the period that you do remember of the young bin, of your young life, what kind of things stick out? So move, that'll probably that'll move you ahead a bit. But what what kind of things stick out from your youth in general? Did you have a relationship with nature? What kind of did you like anything on the telly? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Did you have a favorite cartoon character? Um, I really was. I was very much. I had a wild imagination. I was. I was never an NPC, as they're called these days. I always have had a wild imagination and I had a very, very active internal dialogue from a very, very young age. And I used to fantasize. And even, I mean, I'm a writer today and I write uh, fiction. Even when I was little, I used to write stories. I used to make things up and I used to role play. And I, I loved, a, I loved a TV shows like Doctor Who um, and Star Trek. I was quite keen on science fiction. Um, I remember... I remember some of the early doctors, like Tom Baker was the doctor who I really... He was my favorite, loved. too. I think he is most people's... He's the best. Yeah, he was, and he was in it for a long time. He's much longer than any of the others. Um, you know, he's not the kids they've gone tomorrow once they have now. And he, he was just so cool. And What do you think of this new uh, Scottish woman doctor? I haven't watched it. I mm. haven't watched it. I, I, uh, I haven't watched it, I think, because... I wouldn't be allowed to really say what I think about it because um, <laughs> because you can't. It's it's a really Orwellian situation because if you watch it and you just don't like it for any reason at all, it, it may have nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. You just might think it's not very well directed or very well written. Right. Someone will turn to you and say, "Oh, you're obviously a misogynist." You know, yes. They'll assume it has to be because you're a woman. You don't like it, even if it's got nothing to do with it. So I refuse to watch it just for that reason. Among yes. Them. Isn't that a terrible sign of this current reality? Yeah, it's it is like as George Orwell predicted. You have thought crime. You have. Mm -hmm. It's Absolutely. the uh, the fruits. So now we're censoring ourselves. Yeah. It's the fruits of political correctness. Yeah, it's, so I mean, I, I, in fact, it, to be honest, the, the series have been going downhill mm -hmm. since uh, quite a while. Like Christopher Eccleston was very good, and then David Tennant was all right. But I haven't watched it since the end of David Tennant. Matt Smith was just too teeny bopper, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. I, I couldn't bear to watch that. I haven't watched it in years and years. I mean, honestly, probably since the 90s, maybe. I liked I Capaldi. He was okay. Unfortunately, I never got into Capaldi because Matt Smith just put me off so much. I just couldn't get back into the series. <laughs> So what else from your early childhood did you, um, so we, we've got sci-fi, you had an active imagination. Did you, were you one of the people that had um, imaginary friends? I, I didn't, not, not an imaginary friend as such, no. And I, I didn't, don't, don't remember having regular um, experiences with, for instance, subtle beings or anything like that. I did have a couple of what you might call paranormal experiences. Oh, do you recall them? Yes, one I recall very well indeed. I must have been, I reckon, five years old, and I was in my bedroom. I, I shared a bedroom with my brother in the house, and he had one bed over one side, I had one bed over the other, and we used to argue and things like that. He was just a year younger than me. And um, I remember there was a thunderstorm raging outside, and, um, and I was lying in bed, and I heard this noise coming from my brother's bed, 
and um, and his bed was slightly away from the wall. I mean, he, he wasn't pushed right up against the wall. There was a gap of about a foot and a half between his bed and the wall. And I saw something in that gap, just poking slightly above his bed. He was asleep. He didn't hear a thing or see a thing. There was some black shape. I mean, it was black in color, like some kind of animal. And I only saw a little bit of it, and it made a noise, like a very, very loud clucking chicken. And mm. I was terrified. I, I put my head under the p- pillows. I mean, maybe if I'd been a few years older, I'd reacted differently, but little kids that age, I just put my, my pillow over my head. And when I looked up again, it had gone. But there was a thunderstorm outside at the time. I remember that. And what's worried, I think, interestingly, there's a, my brother used to report seeing creatures that he called earls in that house. He called them earls. And it was a bit of a joke about earls. And he used to say, is there an earl in that cupboard? He, you know, if my mum went to open a cupboard, Danny, my brother, would say, oh, there's not, I hope there's not an earl in that cupboard. And Did my mum used to... Owl? Uh, earl. Uh, um, earl. I know, but maybe he was talking about owls. Um, he described earls once, and he said they were like furry things with horns. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there was... Funny enough, there was an owl-like being seen in Cornwall around the same time called Ooh. the Owlman. And in Cornwall, of course. Oh, Cornwall's the most paranormal place in the world. It's incredible. It's, like every church, it's every the Cornwall. one place I want to live. Cornwall. Not, not where I am. <laughs> I'd love to, I've, been, I've been there a couple of times, and it's an amazing place. But um, the Earls, I mean, the Earls were a bit of a family joke, but my uncle came to stay. Um, he, he traveled from the Netherlands because my mother was a Dutch woman. And he slept in one of the spare room upstairs. He's like an attic room upstairs. And he was terrified out of his wits. And he's not like a, a superstitious kind of person. I mean, he, I mean, I don't have much contact with him. He, he lives in South Africa now. But um, he, he was really worried. He was really, really upset. And like, like, years later, my dad told him he believes he saw these earls too, or he sensed the presence of these earls in this house. It's quite an old house it's in the middle of the Welsh countryside. Oh, sounds um, gorgeous. Oh, it was. When I look back, I think to myself, it was, yeah, it was. It took a lot of getting used to when I left there. I wonder hey, if. How maybe, old were you when. Sorry, go on, Jerry. No, I was going to say, I'm just. I'm really fascinated by this earls. I wonder if they're really earls, like all the earls of Wales haunting this place, you know? <laughs> it could have been like some old uh, earl. It's yeah. Like a, an aristocrat or some. I, Danny described them as having horns and. Um, In furry. Yeah, furry with horns. It looks. I'm thinking of the creature from from that film, Monsters Inc. There was like a blue creature with horns. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I'm thinking of where the wild things live, actually. And I'm thinking yeah. of owl bears from World of Warcraft. Funny enough, this was years before those films came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, where it, the wild things was um, a book in my youth, though. That's right. So I think we did. Re- I think I did read that when I was a little kid. I remember. So yeah, you, I saw. You could suggest that maybe Danny got the idea from that, but. The creature in that is, I remember, is a kid called Max, and there's these creatures. Um, and um, I don't know what way Danny got the idea from that, but I know that um, he, he really believed these earls. And now I never saw an earl, but I did see that strange black creature. And that was, um, I was five years old at the time. So there was something odd about that house. And today that house is, today that house is empty. Cause, like, um, my brother went back to see it a few months ago, and he says it's derelict. No one lives there. Oh, no, that's terrible. I hate hearing yeah. that about old houses. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. But, I mean, it's, um, I wonder why no one's moved in. I mean, we uh, managed to find uh, a When we left, like, uh, my dad and mum managed to sell it. Presumably someone at some point couldn't sell it. 
shrine. It would be fun to have an investigation there now, knowing everything you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see the place again, actually. But also, yeah, I mean, um, the fact that there was this strange phenomena reported, not that they may still be there now, because, but I know that, I do believe there was something strange going on in the house. Well, and um, given the history and everything over there on all the land, you know, it's, there's so much, there's so much with all the paranormal. Um, What it, around this time, so we skip like from three to five. So at five, were you having um, any kind of dreams that you recall? Yes, I I had many nightmares. Ooh. Um, and it's funny, Jerry, when I were talking off air about dreams, and dreams are strange things, and I'm very interested in dreams. Um, a couple I actually remember being a. I remember this a dream that I've never forgotten. It was this like this creature with a a bear. It was like a huge bear but it had this big rock stone on top of its head and um and there was like i was looking at this row of windows and there was this bear it's like these wind these glassless windows like a row of arches and this bear was behind one of them and i i heard a voice saying there's a noise and who is doing it not it's the bear with the stone on his head and i and i I suppose when I look back at it now, it wasn't that scary, but I woke up absolutely in a, a state of terror. And I was horrified by that experience. Um, really, really was. Did, and, and so it, I'm putting the image together. It's kind of fantastic. I love it. The, so there's a stone on the head. Was it, in, like, was it part of the creature or was it an adornment? It was like a hat, uh, like an adornment, yeah, like a piece. But it was like a, a it wasn't like a shaped piece of stone. It wasn't a sculpture. It was just like a, a lump of rock, basically, on top of this bear's head. Do you remember the color of it? Sort of grayish. Interesting. Very interesting. Gray. The bear was brown, and it was, it was sort of walking behind these row, this row of windows, or these arch-shaped windows, without glassless windows and some kind of wall. You know what I find this interesting is there is some um, there are some people's accounts with um, using stones to move from dimension to dimension or um, shift timelines stone with vibration and so I, f- I find that interesting. That's a, you know yeah. there's something there. Well, I'll tell you something, Nish. Um, I'm, I've learned about the Mandela effect in recent years, which is very yes. interesting because. I am a Looney Tunes guy. Um, you mentioned what I used to like on telly when I was a kid, and now I think most children like the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, you know, the the uh, Road Runner, things like that. I enjoyed those very much as a child, but I definitely I remember so clearly that it was Looney Tunes, T O O N S, and I, mean, yes. I was really surprised when I found out that wasn't actually what they were called. And then I found out there's millions of other people who remember it as Looney Tunes as well. And then I found out that. That a lot of people had these experiences. It's all been since they switched on the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And, and then I got hold of Jennifer Broom's website. I'm not Jennifer. What's her name? Broom. Mrs. Broom. And I started reading up about that. And I definitely think this, it's almost like we have shifted to some kind of um, different universe. Yes. I mean, I know people have different – people conflate. Like, people have errors in memory. Like, the beach ball I saw falling out of the window when I was – it's probably the real thing was very different. So memory is inaccurate, but you can't have millions, millions of people conflating the same thing. 
Well, that's what makes this interesting. And I just want to say, I clearly, I can see it clear as day in my head, the opening with Tunes, T-O-O. And um, I also loved loved Looney Tunes. Um, but that is one of the things that we're um, investigating here is how nothing is really certain. Our, you know, these memories we have are very intangible. Even Even if there's hard evidence, like say, a Looney Tunes commercial. And now with thousands of people seeing Looney Tunes the way we've seen it and others not having that, reality is taking on a different tone all around. Yeah. I've, what ta- is- I've talked to a person who told me that CERN was actually time tra- inserted into the timeline in 1991. There's all... It's this funny. There's a guy called Tom, Olaf Thomas Rabi who's talked about how it's actually been setting off explosions in the past um, in different parts of the world before it even got switched on. So it's like there's, there's this quantum effect where you can actually go backwards in time in the quantum world. And it's, I mean, that's, I should mention to you guys, I mean, you may know that from simply talking to me, but where I come from, my accent um, tuned. The word t- tunes, T-U-N-E-S, is pronounced distinctly different. Tunes. We say tunes. Tunes. I think in the States you say tunes. Yeah. Yes. So tunes. it's like the second syllable of cartoons. But we, we, we pronounce it totally differently. Tunes. Like T-U-I-N-S. T- yeah, we would, not have, we, we would not make that. It's not something that we could make a mistake in pronouncing. So I remember saying Looney Tunes, Looney mm-hmm. Tunes. I remember it so clearly. Um, so, I, I mean, it's, just, it's like so. I remember, I remember it's, it's like. I think that can't possibly be my mistake. Yeah, I've got a similar thing. Um, I, I went to a Catholic school and was taught the word dilemma to spell it with an N, D-I-L-E-M-N-A. And, right. and sometime in 2000, I think it's when Google Chrome introduced their uh, dictionary, it changed to D-I-L-E-M-M-A. And I'm not alone. There are millions of people. There's actually a website dedicated to it. Yeah, that's, um, there's, there's people like the who. I mean, I never knew the Berenstein Bears or the Berenstain Bears, but I know people who uh, remember both forms of spelling of the word. And, and I've read that they've put that that company has put out both versions, so it's likely that people are confused about it. Oh, right. That's uh, maybe not the right example. But they, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter when we have even just one major event and, and just if we take one of these and the, the Looney Tunes one is a great one that makes that pushes in enough for us to question the nature of reality. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even like in the mainstream, I mean, if, you, if you listen to people like Professor Brian Cox, who's this media superstar he's like a pop scientist i think he's famous yeah yeah we know who he is yeah he's oh i I can't don't like that guy at all no nobody does he's so obnoxious yeah but he um he was on tv talking about this and he was saying that that they because this is after they found the higgs boson this um, alleged allegedly yeah allegedly his particle that was supposedly what holds matter together and things like this and he was saying that the 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 LHC is so powerful that it, it has to reveal everything from the universe at its most fundamental level. And the thing about it is, once you have that kind of power, and you're subjecting it on the very nature of space time, what's going to happen? I mean, they've 
he said that this could expose other dimensions, other universes in the in the multiverse model of, of theoretical physics. And the funny thing is that then they reported there was just something they found something inside the machine which they call the un unidentified lying object, which is. Um, but they, apparently it seems to be some object that's appeared inside the machine, which shouldn't be possible because the whole thing is hermetically sealed. It's, it's pumped out. The vacuum inside is so pure. It's, it's more than deep space. It's really difficult to keep the, the actual vacuum air from leaking in. You have to have the best seals in the world. So it has to be much more airtight than a spaceship. And um, they found an object in there. I mean, this isn't like a bit of sand in the camera on the beach. There has to be some explanation for where this object came from, and it can't possibly have come from our universe. It must have come through a, some kind of portal. I, I think Simon Parks took responsibility for that. Oh, oh dear. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure what Simon said about that, actually. I know Simon's mentioned, sir. No, nah, a couple of years ago, they, he claimed to intervene in some event there. But there was, there was a ferret or a weasel that got in there. It really? Into the... Yeah. Right into the machine, into the heart I, of the... I don't know if it was in the collider portion, but it was definitely in the tunnels. Oh, possibly in the tunnels, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this particular object was right inside in the, the So, So what was it? it was, I don't think they've managed to get it out. I think they, they can't. Oh, because to get it out, they'd, oh. have to, they'd have to shut the whole thing down for about a year, I think. Oh. Don't you think that would fuck up the rest of the experiments that are going on? I mean, how could they just let it go? Ah, oh, we'll get it later. I don't know. I'll have to check. I'll have to have a look. But I know that the, the thing's still running, and it seems to be running normally. But uh, it's because thing is, like, when you have a vacuum that powerful, that hard, you, it takes, like, so long just to get the air out, mm -hmm. to get the air in and the air out. It's like, it's, and the seals have to be so perfect. Um, yeah, so, crazy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know the engineering of the actual thing, but they haven't actually got it out yet, I don't think. I wanted to see what it looks like, something from another world. That must be what it is. Maybe. It could be also like all the particles that collided got together to form a band or something. You know, like it could be just all the mass they've been put. I wonder if this happened after they started colliding lead particles versus hadron particles. I don't know. Because um, that jumped their that jumped their output from like one TeV to a hundred TeV. Right, that's uh, that's something you could look into. Yeah, find out whether that may be a solution. Maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, we digressed. What were we, what were we talking about? About dreams and things, and what were we talking about? Yeah, but we're letting it go. And I, strangely, I've got people pulling up around my cottage, wanting to clip things off of my hedge. Um. I'm going to see how that goes. This is unusual. Uh, um, and they're like in official jackets as I'm looking out the window. So, okay, back to five years of age and when you were dreaming. You said you had two, um, two nightmares that stuck out. Do you recall the other one? Did I? Oh, God. Did I say two? two? Oh, I have it in my notes here at least. All right. Um... Well, that's all right. Any other dream, though, like um, – and also – in the early life, so it doesn't have to be specific, but I like to um, see what your relationship was with dreaming in general, which would include night terrors and all that. Were you a prolific dreamer at that time? Yes, I always have been. I mean, I, I, I did keep a dream diary for a while, um, and um, it was difficult to do, um, extremely difficult. I mean, I've, 
I thought about this this very week. I've had some really, really amazing dreams this week, which I've sort of slipped away. But um, I, I've always felt like I've lived another life night. As a, that song goes, doesn't it? Every second of the night, night I live another night. It's heart, isn't it? These dreams yeah. are heart. Yes. Great, yes. That's a great song, that is, because that song it's is It's a exactly, fantastic song. Yeah, it is like that. And what's more, the notional time of dreams, I've been interested in the, the notional time of dreams. And by notional time, I mean how long something feels, not as opposed to how long it is. And if you, if you ever hear someone say, oh, today's really dragging, you know, or you see, oh, time's flying. That means that they're feeling like the passage of time is very, very fast or very slow. And usually if you're very bored and not enjoying yourself, it goes slowly. If you're having a good time, it goes fast. Um, that's notional time. What I find is the dreams that I have, their notional time is much faster than, much longer than the actual time that I'm asleep. So I could be asleep for a short time and I could have a dream that appears to last for several days. It feels like it lasts for several days, even if I have my only sleep for a couple of hours. And that's, I find very odd. And I, I found that out when I was keeping my dream diary. Very, very strange. Yeah, the idea of time in dreams is a, a beautiful thing to ponder. I, I had once like went through a whole lifetime in a dream and woke up and it, it was like, how did that happen? It was, I felt like I went through this, like, you know, 80 years. Um, in So in the early period as well, I don't think I got an idea of your relationship with nature. I didn't. I don't have a note here. I um, I've always loved. Were you nature. a child that loved nature? Yeah. I've always loved the nature. I've always been concerned about nature and its well-being. And environmental problems have always disturbed me. Um, and um, I've I got very distressed over the idea of whale hunting. It's something that still fills me with horror. And, it uh, actually makes me sad to even hear. It's so sad. Yeah, it's the funny thing is I'm not like I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm excessively sentimental about all species. I mean, I'm not a vegetarian, for example, but I, I have a real, a very very powerful, um, emotional, out outpouring over the clade cetacea. That is whales and dolphins and things. Yes. Yeah, well, there's there there's something extra about their sentience. There, there's just some. You can look in their eyes. I don't know. There's something there, and we know this through science as well, of course. They're a higher order of intelligence, I think. Yeah, and possibly higher than us. Yeah, but not to say they're like super smart computer things. Just that they're they operate differently. Well, we don't know. I mean, we actually don't know. Like, right, right, right. It, it, the idea that how they communicate could actually be far and above what we are. And somehow we think because we can manifest and create digital realities and all this, that we're at a higher plane, but you know, they seem to be tapping into the psychic levels of communication on a whole different level. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting mysteries associated with their abilities. For example, we know that for instance, the dolphins, um, they, they don't have very good vision, but they have a very, very good sense of their surroundings underwater through echolocation, that is active sonar, which um, is, is used, we can use it in the form of like uh, ourselves or some ships and submarines, for example, use it. Um, it has military applications, it can be used to test the depth of water, things like that. And you know, bats use it as well in the air. However, with dolphins, it seems to be especially sophisticated. They can tell, for example, 
if you throw in a rubber fish and a real fish for them to eat, they will go for the real one every time, which means it's like they can see it have almost like they can see inside the thing that they're scanning with their sonar. Um, now, there's not enough data in the actual sound, the sound streams that they use to actually allow that to happen, to be explained simply through sound. So it is, is do they have some way of getting more data from what should be a finite amount of data? Or do they have some other ability in terms of psychic powers, you were saying? Yeah, it's it's hard. I I just go, of course, I've always been interested in where science is catching up um, with what my inner feelings are. So, um, so then it's great to hang a, your hat on some of that research. But I, I just have this deeper sense about the water and things in it, which leads me to this question of what and th and this isn't this isn't pinned to your early life this is just in general thoughts on the idea of deep water and how water plays in what is deep water and what do you think's going on with it um since we're talking about sentient things in it i'm not sure it, it's really weird but i had a dream last night actually about um uh, being on the side of a river and um and my daughter was there and she jumped in and i remember she was we had to reach something on the other side i can't remember what it was and she was swimming over to the other side of the river um i'm, I'm not sure i mean t for me the ocean of course is a, a sense of there's a sense of mystery in the ocean and we, we know less about the deep sea than we do about the planets of our solar system um and the creatures, there's these most wonderful creatures there. Uh, there's the whales and dolphins, of course, which I do. I, I have a, I think, an, an excessive, a very strangely excessive emotional reaction to. And there's lots of other things as well, including probably species we don't know about yet. There's the Loch Ness Monster, which I, I think the Loch Ness Monster exists. I, I, I've got a friend of mine, Chris Turner, who's been investigating it, and he thinks it exists. Um, so that's that's what the water, so the sea and water and deep water has always had a fascination for me i must say has okay. has deep water played into your dreamscape at all outside of maybe like last night the river dream which is very interesting um i've had dreams that i'm i've had swimming dreams when i'm swimming dreams where i can breathe underwater i think at certain times ooh do you have any recall of any of those not specifically no i mean just if dreams are strange because i i get grief i find it very hard to remember entire dreams as one poet said it's like they they disappear like soap bubbles when you wake but i i try to hold on to them and like i said i try kept dream diary um mm -hmm. having having a little portable tape recorder like a dip, dictaphone or something for your bedside so probably than better than writing it down but um when you're half asleep but i uh i just get little flashes just little flashes of scenes from the dream I, mean, I have a very very deep sense of um presence and atmosphere rather than detail mm. which i find it, oh that's interesting yeah so uh, yeah at this point <clears throat> that's let's look at look at how the architecture of the dream scape for you so you get more presence and atmosphere than say hard digital images you know like um that's a couch or that's a I don't know, hard 3D stuff. What does the dreamscape look like to you? So we get an idea that you have a deep sense of presence, which is a great sense to have. 
I, mean, I find dreams, my dreams are very lucid. There are times when I've been able to test their lucidity simply by being somewhere and thinking and not knowing whether I'm dreaming or not. I've been in a dream and thought, and thought distinctly to myself that I'm not dreaming. And I've been able to, they say pinching yourself is a way of testing. I've, <laughs> that doesn't work because I've tried it. And you, it, it does hurt when you pinch yourself in a dream. But I've um, looked at details around me and thought to myself, well, that's, I can't, that can't come from my head. That's too detailed. There's too many details here. But then something strange will happen. Like, for example, I, I could often find I could fly in dreams. I'm weightless. And I can fly like Superman. You know, not flapping my arms like a bird, but I can, like, think myself and I'll, up into the air and I'll just float up into the air. Um, yes. That's, uh, that's what I often do. If I want to know if I'm dreaming or not, I think to myself, can I float up into the air? And I will. That's limited success. Sometimes I can float a little bit, then come down again. And sometimes I can fly like a, really like a bird. And I can go up, 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 up. And I look down, and I, I feel dizzy because I'm so high up. But it's very, very vivid. My dreams are very vivid. Um, and like I said, they, there's no real difference, especially when I'm, when I'm in the middle of them. And, I'm, and I'm, there's no difference between that and my waking life. What is that? So in, when you're having these, um, this higher degree of lucidity, what is the when you try to focus in or when you do focus in on details is there a do you have trouble with that are you easily able to focus yeah i can i find that um when i'm focusing in on on a detail in the dream i do so very easily which is why i sometimes find it hard to know whether i'm dreaming or not for example i can read something in a on a page if I'm, in a, if I'm holding a newspaper or something in my hands in my dream, I could read that newspaper. Oh, that's that's most excellent. So you can actually you can actually read. A lot of people find that um, characters such as you know alphabet letters, all that, are hard to discern. That they're almost like hieroglyphics. I, I that doesn't. I tend to find that sometimes they're I can read. They're not don't always make sense. Sometimes it's like. Um, gibberish isn't it's when i'm reading it it does it's something that doesn't make sense and very often i'll look away and look back and it's changed mm -hmm. that's another thing that happens but i can distinctly see letters and words but they often are not really they're not coherent there's no coherent language there very often sometimes there is i've like read stories and, and it's, i don't remember details but i've i've been times when i read something in newspaper and i go oh my goodness and i know that i've just read something coherent something i can understand Oh, that's that's really excellent. Have, have any of the things you've read in your dreams influenced your work, fiction or non? Not oh, yeah, not not consciously. That no, there was one situation. It wasn't something I read in a dream, but it was a, a dream I had, which I went on to write a story about. When I, this was a long time ago, when I was at school, I was set an assignment to write a story, and I and I had a dream, and I wrote a, a story based on that dream. It's called the Dockland Searchers the name of the story i remember cool. cool very cool very interesting it was about i was at a heart it was like i was there at a it was a there was a harbor like a, a seaside town like somewhere in cornwall maybe it was a very cornish had a cornish feel to it you know it like a row of fishing boats and like that. And, I, and i in this dream I, I remember this dream very clearly when i woke up and i decided to base the story on it that's great yeah I, I've, I've done the same so go sorry jerry you're roboted I, I, oh, no, I just want to know what book inspired, what came from that dream. It was just, just this story called The Dockland Searchers, which I 
submitted to my the school. This is when I was. At oh, okay. I was hoping it was somewhere we could find it. Um, unfortunately, not. Although I do have a lot of published, I do have a lot of uh, published literature, both on my website and in book form. Um, and some of that, I mean, I sometimes look at those, these things and I sometimes wonder where I get these ideas from. I do because it's what I'm writing. It is. It does feel like I'm channeling because it's it's, yes. it's almost just not. Sometimes these things just flow from me. It's like in my first novel, Evansland, there's a scene in that, which is there's about a 20, 25,000 words segment in that book, which I wrote in a space of just a few hours. And it's in oh almost exactly the original form that I wrote it. And I remember sitting there writing it, and it was just, it just seemed to appear on the page in front of me. Um, my, my, it was like automatic writing. Yes, uh, that's, that's how all my art gets. Um gets going as well it seems like i stop at the end and I'm like how did this happen where did it even come from um so, so actually i wanted to jump back to your your past a little bit uh, did you grow up in a religious house um not really no i mean my 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 mum my mother was from a very religious family from the southeast of the netherlands um limburg which is very roman catholic Yes. Uh, my grandparents were very devout. Um, she really, I think she rebelled against it when she left home and she was determined not to bring me up in a religious way. So she didn't have me baptized. I chose to be baptized myself when I was 17. Oh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And then the, um, um, she finally, there was funny enough, my dad converted to Roman Catholicism and, and we all went to mass for a while, but I, I lapsed. I, I I got out of it pretty quickly, and, and then Good my dad. I found that my dad. Yeah, definitely. It's a horror. And I found out a couple of years ago, my dad. Even though my dad still goes along, I think for old times' sake. Yeah. He doesn't believe anymore. He doesn't take blessed sacraments anymore. He told me that. And, it's like a habit. <laughs> yeah, and he just he told he does he's he's honest enough not to take the blessed sacrament. So uh, he just he just gets a blessing at the at the, at the Eucharist. When everyone else takes their old bread and wine, he um, he just gets a blessing. So what what changed for you to um, so where so okay the usually I just like to understand what what inspired was the religion early on, and um, if you came to some sort of transformation and moved on to something else what that is so how do you view spirituality now um i i would say i'm i would, I would think I'm, i think of myself as a spiritual person i'm interested in spirituality and spiritual matters very much so um i uh, i sometimes go to a spiritualist church in oxford but i um i lapsed from roman catholicism it's just, when the rest of my family were going there, I was the first to sort of lapse, even though I, I sort of came into it late. My, my mother was, was a Roman Catholic. She was quite liberal. And I sort of joined her, and then my dad converted. And then I dropped out of it, and then my dad dropped out of it, and my mum never did. But I, um, I then became, I, I went through several phases. I was sort of like a Dawkinsian atheist for a while. I was like, literally, I was a skeptic atheist for a few years it's the kind that richard dawkins is yeah that's not uncommon when you come from something and you know yeah it's like i mean i think that i not to suggest that 
anything negative there, but it seems like a lot of people do go into what's well, all bollocks, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh so it seems to be almost a natural reaction. A lot of these, um, you go to the British Humanist Association, people like that, they, they come out of very religious, from very religious backgrounds. And it's almost a sense of a reaction against that because they're very dissatisfied with that religion. Um, mm-hmm. Some people stay that way. Others move somewhere else, become something else. I became something else. I, and you know what it was? It was very much because I started getting interested in the paranormal. Um, and I started, getting, I started reading about people who'd had, for example, encounters with angels. And that fascinated me, the angelic encounters. And, even, and there were a couple of demonic encounters, of course, as well, which were frightening and worrying. But there was a lot of angelic encounters. And I thought to myself, well, because these sounded very believable. These sounded there was these were very convincing and very very uh, coherent stories from very credible witnesses, and I thought, well, maybe if angels are real, then maybe there is a maybe God exists. It's just that the the religions don't really haven't really don't really speak for it for God. If God exists, then God obviously has been around for an awful long time, a lot longer than these religions have, because the religions of the world today didn't even exist a few centuries ago. Right. So how, how, how do they possibly speak for God? But it could also be some kind of uh, archontic fuckery. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, this funny thing is I started getting into authors such as David Icke. I started reading about David Icke and Brian Desborough and other people who, mm-hmm. who looked into the origins of religion. It's the fact that Christianity um, emerged not from the Middle East, but from the late Roman Empire, and that... Um, a lot of the stories about Jesus, especially the details of his life, are simply uh, encoded occult black magic. For example, um, Jesus was born on the 25th of December. Now, why, why that date? Um, the reason is it's three days after the winter solstice. And we all know that Jesus was buried in the earth for three days and came out again. And this is, this is, this is solar worship, which the Romans were into, and it is simply symbolic of the sun. And you'll yeah, find all, lots. And all right, that, right, that right. they transposed all of that over. Yeah, and it even carries into the moon landings with the Apollo missions and so on with all their naming. Well, it was Apollo, yeah, because was Apollo, yeah, there was um, Apollo was a. It was Gemini. Uh, yeah. Was he the guy? He was the guy who flew close to the sun, wasn't he? Icarus. Icarus was the one, yeah. That's, yeah, they, it seems like they. This, this kind of symbolism occurs all over the place. And David Icke and others have written about. Um, there's several other people like Graham Hancock and others who've written about this. It's like there's some kind of there's some kind of symbolic code in the mythology of the world. Ralph Ellis, he's another one. He's very interesting. And I started getting into these authors, and it made me it did make me think an awful lot. And that's I was getting involved in the paranormal, and then I started looking into uh, political conspiracies as well. And that's uh, so that's really led me to where I am. So I went through these various phases. How old were you when you literally dropped out, uh, when you became an atheist? What period was that? Um, when was it? It was sort of my late teens, I'd say. Um, late teens? So, no, yeah, no, I, so I got baptized at 17, and I, I think I was an atheist when I was in my early 20s, which would mean I wasn't actually a devout Catholic for very long. Yes. And I'm... then when you started having the paranormal experiences, how and that which was pivotal, how old were you around then? Oh, well, the paranormal things. I have had paranormal experiences. Yeah. But I mean, I was into paranormal. I had I was very interested in paranormal research in the middle of the 90s. 
uh, when I would have been sort of 20 something. And um, I really got into, I had a couple of really interesting experiences, which I think was very influential on me. And oh, will you share? Sort of, yeah, sure. Um, I woke up one day, one, one morning, really early, and it was just, I think it wasn't even properly light. It was just very, very before the dawn. And I woke up very suddenly from, a, from sleeping, and there was a little boy kneeling on the floor of my bedroom. A little a little boy and he was he was translucent he was it was like he was made of smoke but smoke that kept its shape you could see through him and he was visible even though it was dark so it, it was sort of luminescent and he was just a little boy in a wearing a nightgown an old-fashioned type nightgown he's leaning he's kneeling on the floor of my room with his hands in front of his face as if he was praying and his his head was bowed it was like he was kneeling there saying his prayers before bed and um i just sat there and looked at him i wasn't frightened i just thought wow what's this and then he started to lift up into the air he started to levitate and as he did so he turned and looked at me and our eyes met and then he just faded away slowly into nothing and and i was wide awake i was i woke up very suddenly and i was wide awake and i didn't go back to sleep again afterwards i, I did stay awake and i thought that's an incredible thing to see and i can't prove it wasn't in my imagination i can't prove it wasn't some hypnopompic experience but it was just, um, it, it was as real as anything else I've seen. What was it when, when you had eye contact, what was, the, you know, when you have eye contact with certain people, there's, it's almost moving. It, what, was there a moment there? Like I oh. felt some kind of emotional connection or something with him? Yeah. Not really, no. I didn't, I just. Our eyes met briefly, and I just like he, but it meant he could perceive me as well. That's what I mean. Was yeah. there was like recognition? Um, yeah, he, he. I know he could see. I sensed that he could see me because he, he looked at me. Um, now, well, wherever he is, it's possible I looked like because I mean, to me, he was he was not solid. He was like translucent, as I said. Possibly I looked the same to him, and in his world, he's everything solid in his world. I don't know. Uh, maybe he went around telling, "Oh, I saw this strange guy lying in a bed." <laughs> And he was like, see, I could see through him. He was like smoke that kept its shape. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, our eyes met. So he wasn't just an image. It wasn't just like a, a stone tape um, image. He yeah. was sentient. Yes. Aware. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, the answer is yes. Definitely he was sentient and aware. That is fascinating. And and so on that note of sentience, in in your life of dreaming, have you encountered others that possess that same quality of sentience that you know are not part of your unconscious or your psyche um, or, or your could, dream? Or couldn't identify as a part of? Yes, several times. Um, there's one dream in particular I remember quite well. And again, it was, it's a, I get a sense of ambience. I get little flashes of images and and. Uh, occurrences but i remember this individual very well and he looks I, I remember how he looked and he doesn't look like anybody i know so and if i knew if i saw him have he walked past me in the street i would recognize him i would know him he's uh i'd say a young chap um uh, maybe 30 in, uh, in age if that's young so not really young but he had a dark he was like an asian like a i mean in the british term i don't mean sort of oriental i mean indian asian pakistani asian and his name, his name was Panic. And I spoke to him in my dream. 
and his name was Panic. And I know that it's like he's... I don't believe he's come from my imagination. He doesn't look like anyone I know. I often see people I know in my dreams, people I know in my waking life. I often They often appear in my dreams. Let's talk about panic, though, for a minute. This is um, this is really fantastic. So you, he had the sense of sentience, and his and did he tell you his name, or was it more um, telepathy? He did tell me his name. I mean, I did have conversations with him in the dream, which I, I don't remember the details, but he played an important role in the dream. I know that much. He he was somebody who was very. He was he was very very act an active part of this dream story, and I wish I could remember the whole thing. I'd love to really go back and take photos. You know, and to, do you have well? This name is very significant. It it, it really is. Um, did he have? Do you remember his um, general appearance? Yeah. So you said you said like Indian Middle Eastern. I'd say either Middle Eastern or Pakistani or Indian. He was like yeah. dark skinned. Yes. Caucasoid features. Uh, he, he was wearing an Aran sweater, like a white woolen jumper. White, and, okay. Yeah. And his accent was just normal English. He didn't speak with a, he didn't speak in the, in the Indian accent or anything like that. He just had a normal yeah. English accent, which many British Asians do. I mean, they don't all speak. Right, of course. Like, they don't all sound like Apu from The Simpsons. You know, they do. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy did. And he, his voice was just, I remember his, he was just had a fairly neutral accent and a distinctive voice was sort of like just, Hello, and he was he was a good character. I got warm feelings from him, like he was helpful and friendly. I remember in the dream we did something together. We like there's some task we had to do, and we were helping each other. And it, this guy with his he had black trousers and black shoes and this white Aaron sweater, um, with all the patterns on, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know the, those sort of rural jumpers that farmers wear. He had one of those on, and isn't. And I think he might have appeared in more than one dream. I. Because like, there's times when I've had more, what, I've had the same, or well, not the same dream again, but I've had like continuations of previous dreams. Yes, let's oh, yeah. get to that in a second. So, so the, you feel like he may have appeared in other dreams because was there a certain sense of familiarity there? Yes, I felt like I've always, I, I got to know him well. We sort of became friends in the dream, um, and it's very strange. I remember even thinking at one point. I don't know this person from my waking life because I was having a, like a lucid dream and I was aware I was dreaming. And I remember thinking to myself, well, here's a guy I only ever see him when I'm asleep. He's a good guy. And I, shame I, don't, I never see him when I'm, when I'm awake. I remember thinking that in a dream. Oh, I wish I could remember more details. I don't know. Yeah. How old were you around this time, if you can recall? It was maybe a few years ago. Um, oh, so pretty modern. 30-something, yeah. I was 30-something at the time. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, That's interesting. And so, any of the in the conversation and the information was any of it pertinent to uh, your waking life? No, I don't think so. Um, I I remember being very when we were in the dream together, me and Panic. What we had to do, we spoke an awful lot about what was going on in the dream. And I think it's like we had some important task to perform in the dream, and we did. There was one point there was a, there was these woods, and there was like a forest fire. I remember that, and there was a, oh, something to do with the forest fire. We had, to, I think, we probably had to put it out. I can't. I wish I could remember. I'd love to have the dream again. No, I've, I've so he was like a guide almost. Like you had a task, and yeah. he was there to to assist you. 
Yes. We had yeah. to do something together, and we became very close. We were like we had this quest that we had to perform, and like many people, maybe in fiction on a quest, or people who yes. have their task for, we we bonded. Yes, friends. Um, and I know. I mean, maybe I'll dream about him tonight. I mean, he maybe he'll come back to me. But oh, he I hope so. Yes. In fact, if he does, I mean, if he does, I'll let you know. But um, it's odd that um that happened. And as I said, there's nobody. Nobody in my waking life I know who is any way like Panic, and he's a very, very distinctive person that I that's kind of appeared. And it's really weird, very, very strange indeed. It's it's a really great example. I'm thrilled to that you have it. It's so rare that we get a name for a character for other beings, and the fact that that's the name and then the fact that there's a task involved so he's kind of you know he's a guidance of this is all this is just a beautiful example um it's yeah. so great it, okay so also other beings what about um what about entities in the dreamscape that seem a bit that, that have a mutable role so per, perhaps they seem a bit daunting or threatening and then become more conscious to you less threatening or even friendly that does happen yeah they, the the funny thing is that well first of all i often encounter real people like i said people from my waking life appear in my dreams but they have very very different personalities they behave in very very different ways so someone who is I remember there's a dream when my my girlfriend at the time, a woman called Sue, who I was we were very much I was very much in love with and who treated me very well, behaved very badly in a dream when I when I met her. At the same time, there was another person I met at work who was unpleasant to me in real life, who was actually very nice to me in a dream. That was very odd. But as as things that oh, there were several occasions where there was this one where I'm in like this tunnel. Oh, I wish I could remember the details. And this frightening, there was this frightening entity there. I got this, this presence was there. Um, I think it was a woman who had, who was quite old. And she was, she, she, I remember she turned out to be very nice, but I was frightened of her at first. You recall what she looked like? She had great hair in a bun and a black dress. Kind of a crone? Yes, like a old, wrinkled face. It wasn't like the thing people see when they have sleep paralysis. It wasn't like that. Yeah, not like a hag, but no, like an older. Yeah. They're really horrible. I mean, they're nasty. This, this, but this woman turned out to be nice. I remember. So she. Oh, this is yeah, weird. I, I've, I've had, I've met very, I've met creatures in my dreams which are very, very frightening and intimidating, and then I, I, then either leave the dream or wake up. As, now there was one I remember one dream I remember I remember very distinctly. I was in my bedroom in my, in the old house where I used to live when I was a kid. Not not the one in Wales, the one I lived when we moved to Oxford. And I there someone put a ladder up against the window and the window overlooked a garden. And this ladder I suddenly the ladder was moving as if someone was climbing up it. And the funny thing is the window was shut but it was like there was no glass in the window even though the window was shut. And I saw these these hands appear at the top of the ladder, but they were hands covered by shoes, like winkle picker shoes, you know, the black pointed toe shoes. And then this thing came up. Yeah. This, 
this frightening being with a horrible, it was like humanoid, but it was like glaring eyes, big teeth, climbed in through the window and approached me growling with these strange things, his shoes on its hands. And then I, that, that was all I remember as if maybe the dream ended or I woke up. But that really scared the hell out of me. Did you have any, so when you woke up from that, um, and so were you a teen around this time? Slight, I think this is like just pre-teen, I think, that this happened. I don't remember exactly, but I think this was in my first few years in Oxford. So I know because that's the house I was living in. So I've been so, between, between 8 and 12 years old. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was looking at So the, and with the hormone stuff. Um, so at this point, what was your feeling? Because that a, that's a scary image. I actually love the idea of that image in, say, putting that in sci-fi. But... Um, with the shoes on the hands, did you did you have any associations with that imagery when you woke up? Not really. No, I remember being frightened by the dream and remember it very clearly. I don't know if I told my parents about it. I remember, I remember being frightened to go back to sleep. Yeah, that's um, that's hardcore. In that's case it happened again. In case this thing came back in my dream. Yeah, so it's very vivid. I, mean, I never. I I think the. It's funny because I didn't, I not, I'd not seen, I suppose this thing looked a little bit like Freddy Krueger, but I mean, I never saw the Nightmare on Elm Street movies until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. Right. So you weren't front loaded with that. Exactly. And it was not, it was not Freddy Krueger. It was Mm -hmm. similar in the, and the face was similar, but there was, you know, the the striped jersey, the the hat and things like that. And the, and of course the, the long nails with the metal bits. Well, the growling. I mean, that's. In the in nature, growling serves one purpose. So. Yeah, I mean, this was frightening, a frightening humanoid <laughs> being that came up to me. This frightening entity that approached me in a dream. Yeah, that yeah, that's significant, and um, that's good. Wow, you've got great dreams here. Um, there was something I had written. My notes. I'm writing so fast because you're giving me so much imagery. Um, I have a question. If you want. Okay, go on, Jerry. Getting back to your baptism. What do you think about the notion of uh, the ritual that's performed being some kind of third eye block? Um, it's quite possible. I know that um, Michael Elner said that religions destroy spirituality along mm-hmm. with a list of other things that are back to front. Um, I, I suspect that the, the principal person, the principal purpose of religion is to somehow control the human spiritual impulse mm-hmm. and if you look at the, the what the church does its behavior and then the the conduct of the church the the terrible things that it's done in many many different ways over the years the fact that it's so rich and powerful mm-hmm. and has mistreated children so badly like that. and humanity in general yeah and the fact that um if you look at what the yeah the, the terrible things the church has done <laughs> um it's that this it's obvious that people who live in religious communities have a particular image of God and things like that, which that you can't break. For example, um, I went to, on a pilgrimage to Lourdes in the south of France, and um, this is famous for having, there was a sighting of the, the Virgin Mary there in 1855 by a young girl called Bernadette Subiru. Now, she describes the Lady Mary, and she has a, it's, it's an interesting story, actually, because, but the actual, uh, the image she describes, the actual figure that she describes, is not the same as 
the biblical Mary that what you see in churches and things like that. You see a woman wearing a blue shawl, including a headscarf. Um, Bernadette describes a woman wearing a white shawl with a blue sash around the waist and roses, yellow roses clasped between her toes. Now, if this, if Bernadette had actually grown up in a non-religious community or a, a secular community of some kind, she probably wouldn't. She probably wouldn't have immediately jumped to the conclusion it was the Virgin Mary because she grew up in this very devout Catholic community. How else was she supposed to interpret it? She encountered a benign feminine entity in a, it, when she had an altered state of consciousness. What else could a, a girl like her say except that it was the Virgin Mary? Because the right. only benign feminine entity she knew of was the Virgin Mary. Right, because people would look at things through their belief system or the filters of their belief system. Yes, exactly. And so that's, and, the, and if you look at the story about what happened, the fact that uh, the church immediately tried, immediately got involved and turned, determined to turn this into a place of pilgrimage for the Virgin Mary. Yeah. It's very interesting, but we, it's possible that she saw what she really saw something different. Right, right. Well, look at the, uh, the Fatima stuff, the, how the third the third omen that they came out with was been secreted away by the Vatican as well. Oh yeah, I mean the the thing about the Fatima event is, I suppose it has an awful lot in common with what you might call a, a ufological phenomenon. The mm-hmm. what people saw could be described as maybe a UFO experience. Sure. Um, and um, it's, it's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of ways that you think to yourself if it wasn't for the institution of the Vatican. Possibly these, it would be possible serious researchers could get involved and they could maybe look into this in more detail. It's quite possible there are angelic entities. I mean, like I said, I mean, the idea of angels. I mean, this is something I've incorporated into my own recent fiction, the last mm-hmm. two books, and the third one I've just finished writing. Um, the idea of angels coming down to earth and in, directly intervening in human affairs, I think is a very interesting one. It's very real. But I don't see why it should be connected with... A religion. Um, the churches, yeah, right. it's why the churches. It's like the same with the demons and jinn and creatures like that mm-hmm. that interfere in a negative way. They're obviously malevolent entities, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're devil. They're from the devil in hell. It could be something far more complicated and more interesting than that. But the, the thing is, if you live in a very, very devout religious community, you can't, you can't really contemplate it in a more interesting way. No, it's free, think, free thought is not allowed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, that's true. It's, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the Vatican, it could be a very devout Muslim community as sure. well, or um, Anglican, or other, other religious community. This is, this is exactly why, precisely why, we get the early stuff from people, so we understand what, um, what, you know, for lack of, I guess it's kind of a crude word, but the indoctrination in which one has come under before they got to where they are now. So it's it, in a better way, I guess it's the set of symbols you, you, you're given through your culture, your, your parents, you know, your village, wherever you are. And that forms the basis, this, that's the foundation on which the house is built. So then when we're researching these things and you say, something like crone or hag i have now an idea of where you come from and an association with that and can throw in my ideas over that of well that's you know with the lady of fatima and um with lords in particular that that's what she worked with that was her symbol but 
is it possible it's something else, which is what we're all researching, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, the it's only because I've been lucky enough to to grow up in a in a family that's religiously liberal and in a world in, in, a, in an age and a, in a, in a culture which is fairly secular that I can even look at look at these in this particular way. For example, the uh, the earls that were, I believe existed in my first home, they if if this had happened if we'd lived a couple of centuries earlier in my grandparents' society in Limburg in Netherlands. That would be interpreted. They'd, be, they'd say that's those are demons. It's no, the devil. Or and elves. Say, or elves. Yeah, they would talk about elves there. They call it well, the or witchcraft, right? In the yeah. if we're mm. talking a couple of centuries, that would be high in the burning times, and it would definitely be somebody's working some dark magic on you. And you know, oftentimes that would would be someone in the village. Well, I was, I was probably what would happen is Dan, my parents would just say to Danny, don't tell anyone about it because they'd be frightened of witchcraft persecutions, um, which, was, which is, would have been a serious problem. I mean, it's, it's sad, but there are probably a lot of people who had interesting UFO, UFO experiences and ghost encounters and things like this, and maybe angelic or demonic experiences, which they dared not speak about. It's probably only maybe in, the recent, in recent times they've even been able to speak about it because they've seen other people being burned at the stake. They've seen them being thrown into a river and things like that. Yes, yeah, right. And so there's the context, which is so important. You know, this is another reason why we ask about how one experiences the landscape within the dream, within dream, the dreamscape. It also gives us... Um, context to get into the world of the dreamer we're speaking with yeah that's um i mean i'm uh jerry was saying that i maybe remember more dreams as i've been going through this conversation and um and i'm I, i'm i haven't i mean the ones i've had over the last week i i know that over the last week i've had some very interesting dreams and i haven't i just can't remember them but i remember waking up and thinking wow those are incredible dreams just this, this literally this last week. This week has been incredible for me as well. Unbelievable. And of course, we had the full moon cycle, which always, you know, tends to be. There's a lot of a lot of people that will chime in on this, but that tends to be a, a high time for more lucid dreams, more dream recall, and definitely more vivid, crazy, you know, um, fantastic dreams. So, I mean, ironically, Ben, I you mentioned the stream of the river with your daughter last night and um i just had a dream two nights ago with the river and um what i call my daughter she's <laughs> she's not a human she's a dog um but you know and and she went skipping across some rubbish i don't know what kind like trees down or whatever and i couldn't get to her but it was it's just interesting you know there there we have a, that was a sync up for me oh I just had a river dream. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, I uh, I think it'd be there are there are people who like try to share dreams, and I know there's there's groups of people who try to have the same dream and maybe see each other in dreams, things like that. It's a, it's a fascinating area of research. I mean, I I know that in terms of out of body experiences, there are very very similar forms of um. Experiments such as Robert Monroe. I've mm -hmm. read yes. both of mm -hmm. Robert Monroe's really good books about journeys out of the body and things like that. Oh, that's yeah, classic. Yeah, they're extremely. That's extremely scientifically done. I mean, he he set up this. The Monroe Institute is still there. This scientific mm -hmm. body just set up to study this sort of thing. So Virginia he did Beach. Experiment. 
Yeah, yeah. And he did these amazing experiment experiments where he got his friends to participate and he was determined to try and get to, to, to make it so that the there's there's no other explanation other than he was really out of his body and it wasn't just in his imagination. Yeah, but you can't so, you can't tell. What's your relationship with uh, out of body experiences? I've not actually had a waking out of body experience. I've not. I know I've, I'm interested in them. I know people who have had them, and they're very very fascinated by them. For some people, it's is the opening to a new way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. One one guy in particular I know had an out of body experience, and it led him to a completely new area of the world. The near death experience is. Uh, also very interesting, which of course is combined often with an outer body mm-hmm. phase. Um, and um, I've been very, very interested in that. I've, I've, I've worked in the healthcare sector for a while, and I think this is, and I've actually talked to several other professionals about this who've got an interest in it as well within the healthcare field. Now, there was a very interesting event, actually. I mean, this could count as one of these sort of things that Robert Monroe was doing, one of these various experiments that Robert Monroe was doing. but. Um, I, okay, it didn't happen when I was on duty, but I came on duty for a night shift, and um, someone on the late shift said, "Oh, they saw a ghost in 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 CDU. CDU is the clinical decisions unit, which is a part of the emergency department at my hospital." And they said one of the nurses ran out of there screaming, um, and apparently this nurse had seen a humanoid entity, like a glowing humanoid being, in the ward, and um, had run out there and run out screaming. Now the very the, this, they were actually doing a resuscitation on someone in the resuscitation room at that very moment and we were talking about it and I was talking to the other nurses about it and it appears this sort of thing is not rare I mean hospitals are one of the most common places for these kinds of experiences maybe because there's so much death and suffering and pain there fear and there's a guy called Dr. Mitchell Gibson who's actually a doctor from New York I believe who would actually encounter the spirits of patients that he just passed. He just signed their death certificates and he would encounter their spirits. And very, very, because um, he has these abilities to perceive things. He has like the ability, he was like, I suppose, mediumship, you would call it. Clairvoyance. Yeah, clairvoyant mediums. He, he was essentially a clairvoyant medium who was also a doctor. Mm-hmm. Very interesting chap. There's a couple of those. Um, I'm linking his book called The Spiritual World in our show notes on Discord for everyone. So. Oh, great, Dr. Gibson. Yeah. I've, not, I've listened to a couple of interviews. I've not read his books, but I've listened to his interviews. Very interesting chat. I have a question on suffering. Um, and the, so the, uh, the role of suffering, and, and this is, again, why um, one of the, in Catholicism, which I was not brought up in, but I've, I love Our Lady of Suffering, and, um, and only because I've gone through some, some stuff in my life that changed my life through hardcore suffering. And so I see a valuable role, the valuable role at place if you don't allow victimhood to set in. Um, and so, and I'm asking this in terms of uh, states of consciousness and transcendence and, um, and possibly how it ties into maybe perhaps dreams. Um, have you, during any time of suffering and this can be really something that's it's common as a terrible migraine headache right anything that causes extreme suffering where one has the ability to and almost no choice but to try and move away from the pain right especially for those of i don't take 
I won't take pain. I don't take meds. I have to be really, I think it has to be administered to me if I'm unconscious. Um, so I will ride through some really hardcore stuff and, um, and have found intense by location, um, leaving my body through suffering. And, um, has, have you experienced anything like that? Um, I've, I've found solace, not, not in the same way you have. I found solace in unusual places during difficult time. I, um, I had a, I went through a very difficult time because I had a child that was stillborn, a daughter. I've got one daughter, she was 23, but I've had one before that who was stillborn. And then I went into a period of deep um, depression. And, um, and this, is, this is the period where I was taking medication and I had this I, period I couldn't remember. I can't remember a lot of that period of my life. Um, I was also in a bad relationship. I was with the mother of my daughter. Um, it was a very, very bad relationship. But she was very, she was, she was abusive. Really abusive, and um, I found I found solace in this TV program. Very oddly enough, um, and it was it's called Gone to Seed, which is like a comedy miniseries. And when I look at it objectively, it's it's kind of not a deep, it's not a deep and meaningful program. But I perceived it, I think, in a way possibly I read more into it that's actually in it. But I almost it almost sort of opened the door t- for me to another world, almost like an escape, an, an escapist's landscape. This 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 um, particular drama series or comedy drama series opened for me, and it, that was extraordinarily important. Um, it's it's odd when I look back at it about how I, in a sense, this almost provided an a. Uh, uh, a way out, a way of pulling through and of leaving yes. the, world, the world I was in now with all the pain I was, I was feeling. Um, yes. And, uh, I mean, the memory, the memory loss is incredible during that period. I mean, I bumped into a guy just after this period when I was recovering from it, and I trained him up in the delivery suite at my hospital. And I'd, know, I'd met him a, a year earlier, and I, could, I, I, worked, I, I worked with him for two weeks. I was training, training him up. In, in this particular field of portraying, and I couldn't remember him. And I was at a party where I was with people I'd known for years, I, I maybe hadn't seen for a couple of years before then, and I could remember them perfectly, but I couldn't remember this guy. I couldn't, I couldn't remember. And it was quite embarrassing because he remembered me perfectly. Were you ever able since then to place him? No, I've never. He just told me, oh, you train, you train me in, in, the, in this particular department. Which meant I would have had to be alongside him every day for two weeks. Right, right. Um, and I've never—he he was insistent, though. And I mean, I believed him because other people sort of remembered him too. Did uh, he give you insight into your character at the time? No, but other people did. Other people, you know, pe- other. You know, I didn't realize how ill I was. It was other people's. You know, I weighed about six stone at one point. Oh wow! Um, I was in terrible. I was—I really was a functional depressive, and. Um, other people were worried about me. What was, was the feedback you were getting, Ben? Think, as, at least now. Oh, right. Well, people asked me. It was, when I recovered, people talked more to me about it. But I said, you know, Ben, you weren't eating. You, weren't eat, you, were, you were not eating hardly anything. You were, you know, your, 
you weren't washing and you were smelling and things like that and you weren't eating and we were really worried about you. Do you, I'm so sorry this happened to you, Ben. It's a terrible thing. Um, it is just a terrible thing. It is, did you have, so before the, before the stillborn birth and when you're in this, what sounds like kind of an, you know, an, an unfortunate woman that you're in, you know, yeah. the, the relationship was a kind of an unfortunate situation. Were you having anything go on in your dreams at this time that looking back now could have been signs? I had an, a really, oh, I had some dreams that were, but one dream, I, I had a dream which, and I woke up crying my eyes out. Um, and my dad was came around and he was like, because I was just lying in the bed and I wouldn't stop crying. Mm-hmm. My dad came around and they, they almost called an ambulance to me. And I, um, but it was a dream, but I don't, don't remember the dream. I mean, it was, I just, it was like a cartoon. It, the, the dream it was kind of like there was a cartoon story, you know, like reading comic book, like that. Mm-hmm. And there were some people, there were some characters in the dreams that were like characters from comic strips. And that's all I remember of it. But it, I woke up crying. It had some awful, awful effect on me. That well, the the aspect that the fact that it was cartoon like is very significant. And um, ha, have you experienced that kind of um, overlay in your dream life since? Where um, they were cartoonish. Not one like that. I've not had a dream like that that I recall since then. And how clear are those images? Once uh, there was this, well, there's this figure with a green shirt, and like it was a woman. Um, it was like a small woman, green shirt, long hair. I can't remember. It's like I don't remember. So it wasn't my my partner at the time, the mother of my daughter. It wasn't her. Someone else. What was her character like? Was she loving? Very loving. Yes very loving it was almost like this was almost like a a mistress i suppose in my mm-hmm. dream that i was in love with and, and she was wearing green she was wearing a green shirt and she's very small um like almost miniature and i think that was what made me cry was that i woke up and she was gone this yes was because like she was mistress. loving because yeah it was like she was like a mistress i suppose and I, I, uh, I didn't have another, you know, I didn't run off with another woman when I was there in real life, but it was almost like in my dream I did. Yes. Yeah. That, well, it seems, it seems logical. And also in a way, this, so don't take this in the wrong way. In a way, this feels like it also could have been this, the soul, this baby that didn't come through that, that being, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. I've often seen, I've often wondered what, we called her Alice, this girl. Oh, 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 I love that name. She would have been 24 if she was alive today. And I've often wondered what she looked like. Um, Have you encountered her in dreams at all or anything that felt like her, her energy? Nothing that I identified. I would identify as her, no. Um, uh, I would be curious to see her. I mean, I, I believe she's somewhere else. I, I believe mm-hmm. she exists somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see her. I mean, I, uh, it's uh, an odd thing. I mean, I've had what I consider proof at one point of a spiritual encounter, and I believe that I could have an encounter with her. I hope I do. What was your proof of the spiritual encounter? 
this took place in 2008 and it was just when i began a relationship with sue this woman that was my girlfriend for eight years um now the funny thing is, is we just started dating and i was on my way back from seeing her she she lives in nottingham which is like a, a three-hour train ride from oxford and this was november and it was dark outside and you know when you're on a train and it's dark outside the windows become like mirrors and i was sitting on this train sleepy and i was, I went into one of those half asleep states uh which you may be familiar with where you're half asleep half awake and i was looking at the window and i suddenly realized there was a man standing in the aisle of the train looking at me and um he was standing completely still i was sitting in the chair in the seat and he was <clears throat> standing maybe a few seats in front of me maybe seven eight feet away now i could see him slightly blurred he reflected in the window directly ahead from where my eyes were, but I could see him in my in my peripheral vision for real. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I, yes, I, yes. Yeah, and I didn't want to shift my gaze because I thought I remember thinking to myself, even though I was half asleep, if I shift, if I turn my eyes to look at him directly, it's, it'll break this altered state of consciousness that I was in. And I remember he had a white jacket on. He was like a, a middle-aged man with thin hair, and he had a white jacket on like a bar steward's jacket and um I, I did eventually snap out of it and i woke up and he'd gone he just vanished now i went back to, and next time i went to see sue i told her and i told her about this experience and she gasped and she said one moment she went upstairs and got her photo album she came back down and she opened it and she pointed to a photograph of a man wearing a bar steward's jacket um standing behind a bar in this hotel and and it says is this the man you saw and I said, it could be. It looks a bit like him. She said, that's my dad. He died in 1988. It was, it was a thunderclap moment, that, you know. Oh, it gave me the chills right here. <laughs> but also, I, mean, I, should, I should point out that I have not seen this photograph before. I, I didn't know what this man, her father looked like. He died many, long, many years ago. I never met him. Yes, yes. Um, which would indicate that if he's around, if he's still, if he's in spirit, he... He died, and then he is aware of the, the life he had. So whatever state he's in now, he has memories of his life on Earth. He has an awareness of who he was, and he also has the ability to perceive our, our world, the world of the living. And he's doing probably, it's logical that he's concerned about his daughter, and he's, he's concerned about the kind of men who are hanging around her, which I think maybe he was following me around. Yes. Well, he that's logical, right? Yeah. He wanted to know what kind of man I was. That's very interesting, but I didn't. I didn't know what he looked. To me, that counts. In fact, I hadn't seen that photograph before. I had no way of knowing what that man looked like. Um, to me, that's very significant, evidentially. Did and did how did Sue feel about this? Because it must feel like, I mean, I imagine I would feel, I would feel love over yeah. this. My parents checking in to make sure this person I'm involved with, you know, that my my parents follow are watching. She was delighted. We we talked it over, and I made these various points to her. She was delighted. She said, oh, my dad, that's my dad. He's still here. Man, that is, this is, oh. And she was open to the idea, because she, she goes to spiritual churches. She's open to the idea of the afterlife. But this is, this is like a, a, this is direct evidence from an independent source. Yes, absolutely. And that's the stuff I love. Mm. What, okay, so on, on dead people in dreams. So besides whose father, 
Have you encountered other people that you know from this waking life in dream and also possibly seen them before they seen maybe knew that they were going to pass before they passed? No, I, I don't. I have seen people who've passed away in my dreams. My mother, for example, has appeared many times in my dream. After the fact. Yeah, she died in 2006. Um, but I don't have, I've not had what you call precognitive dreams that, I'm, that I remember. I don't recall dreaming something that then came true. So let's talk about your mom. Can we talk about her? Yeah, sure. Um, so after she died, so I'm interested just in the dreams of her, really. Um, how did she start showing up to you? Um, she would suddenly be there just herself you know and her personality was fairly similar to how it was in life and and i remember being very frightened because you see i i had a bad relationship with her um and i remember being very frightened when i saw her because of the dynamic you had when she was living yeah it's almost like a fear that she was still it's an awful thing to say but i was scared my goodness she's still alive yeah, it's I, I and know that's a horrible that. thing to say, but I remember thinking, you know, oh, damn it, you're still alive. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I felt. So, and, and, but she, but these dreams, are they, um, so how is the relationship with her now in dreams? Same. Um, it's, it's she hasn't, we, we, in a sense, we haven't had a dream where we kind of made up yet. Okay. She apologized or I apologized. Sort of mm -hmm. like, and we talked over our differences. That's never happened. I mean, I've heard that that can happen in, in a near-death experience, um, but it's not happened to me now. Um, well, my, see, my, my dad and my brother had an encounter with her after she died. They had, they had an experience where they encountered her just after she died. And I didn't because I didn't have the same relationship with her that they, that they did. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these things are so complex. I had, I mean, in this last week of crazy dreams, I, I have this very abusive person in my life that died tragic, like crazy, weird, made news all over the United States. Um, and she's just a nasty person and she got what she deserved. I hate to say that out loud, but it's true. Um, and she just showed up in my dreams. Like she made up, she popped up with a pointed gun at me. That's how nasty she was. And I thought, oh my God, she's still here. <laughs> I'm going to get some freedom, some liberation from her. And there she is, nasty as ever. Just had another dream with her. And her personality is still the same. There, it seems like there's no transcendence. Um, you may, you may with, change. I mean, I'm hoping, I do hope that it'll change on my part as well as yours. And I don't want, yes. I don't want to hate my, I don't like hating people. It's not nice, but I can't, I can't change how I feel. Absolutely. And these things are slow. This is all, everything's slow. And I like how when we opened up this conversation in the beginning anyway, we we're talking about time and dreams. Um, so I have a couple more questions here in this, in this kind of sector. What do you think, what do you think is the function of dreams? What do you think? is going on with why why do we dream um this is a big question uh, i i know that um i've read the scientific stories about dreams and even, even the scientists don't agree exactly why we have it we know we dream. but your feelings, ben, My feelings. That's what we're um, um 
I think it, in a sense, is possibly a perception from perception that you don't get when you're in your waking life. In a sense, you enter an altered state of consciousness in the same way you might do if you ingest certain psychoactive drugs or you have a near-death experience and these other kind of altered states of consciousness. I think dreaming is different from those, but it, it could be that it's a way of certain thought processes and, feet and emotional processes that go on inside you um, appear in dreams when they can't manifest in waking life. And many materialists have said this, like Sigmund Freud. However, um, in a non-materialist sense, that's uh, it could be it's, it's something from your higher self, your daemon, as Asli P called it. It could be a message from that. Is it possible that they can be a gateway somehow to other states of consciousness, even beyond what we perceive at this time? Yes, I think it is. And I mean, the fact that dreams are so surreal could indicate that uh, we've, we, in a sense, have a, a limiting filter, which is why we maybe don't perceive them in a completely lucid way. And very often they have these very um, strange elements, like the, the guy who a strange creature that climbed up a ladder and went through the window even though it was shut, so they went through the glass as if the glass wasn't there, things like that. It's, it's almost like perhaps if it wasn't, there wasn't some kind of filter involved, we would perceive them more clearly and more coherently. I don't know, that's just a, a thought and feeling, but I don't believe it just comes from inside my head. I don't, I don't believe that panic, for example, this, this man that I met and knew in a dream, could be somebody that I just in, invented. I don't believe he's just too, he's just too real. He's just too detailed. And he was just, it's like we got to know each other really well. It's very strange. I completely agree. I think there's way more going on with it and that it's, that, that it's limiting to think that it's all just our unconscious processing. I just thought of something, sorry. Uh, oh, just, bring it up. Um, now this is not nothing. This is not something that involves me, but I've heard stories about this man. Have you heard of this man? Have you heard of that? This man. There's a. There was a, a lot of posters going around. There was some. There was an internet pictures as well saying, "Have you seen this man in your dreams?" It was like a face. Yeah, oh, it was yes. in 2006. Uh, there's a website, thisman.org. Yes. That's it. Yeah, and many, oh, many people. Wow all over the world was the problem is and you could argue that some of the people who dreamed of this man only dreamed of it because they saw the website and but front loading yeah that's oh, i just typed front loading into chat that's fucking wild <laughs> <laughs> great minds jerry great minds but you know it's like so but, but you see the thing about this that some people came forward before this was famous and before it went viral and several people from across different backgrounds in different cultures actually reported that they'd seen this man they'd be they were talking it was very it was actually a group of psychiatrists i think or a psychiatric, psychiatric journal that first um made people aware of this maybe i think maybe not online i don't um, the origins are a bit obscure but there seems like a, a large number of people were seeing this particular individual in their dreams very very strange um there was some lots of i mean by that time unfortunately it grew legs and it, it's really lost it's it's become, I think it's just disappeared now, but there's it, people saying, oh, he's one of the jinn, or it's an angel, or it's something like this. And of course, that's possible, but it's, um, 
there was not a proper study done into it. But it was very, very interesting. Like that. See, this is one of the dangers of religion is that you don't look outside your box. You don't, you know, what if this thing was some kind of manifested tulpa or dream tulpa or a thought form or something like that? But since they're looking at it through their 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 blinders of religion, you know, it's got to be a jinn or a demon or something like that. You know what I mean? Everything's got to be external. Yeah, and that's that's a, that is a shame. And indeed, I suppose uh, materialistic psychology has its own version of that, which would be, well, it's uh, it's just something uh, for me. Mental see. disorder. Yeah, but they're yeah. quacks. Yeah. Psychology and psychiatry is just is nonsense. But I digress. <laughs> it is, and it's a terrible weapon as well. Yes, yeah. it is. What it's definitely it's definitely weaponized at this point. But the thing is, this is the problem with. Um, when we're trying to connect to other people that are having legitimate experiences when we go public with it. It's why I keep a lot of what I'm trying to overlap here to myself because I don't want to front load people. I don't want to muddy the water. And um, But there comes a point when one does need to come forward and um, find find others that may be having the same experience because in that, that whatever that validation is, it creates, it opens a portal to this is now a possibility. And possibilities are the seed of everything for me. And this, you know, and that ties into all of this, into the possibilities of, of was it Looney Tunes or was it Looney Tunes? You know, the possibility of, is that really a memory or is that a dream? the possibility that I can change the future. And also what I want to get to now is what do you think this waking life has been? What is this experience we're having? Exactly. It's, uh, and I suppose our, my perception of my life goes through my memories and I know my memories are not perfect. And there are some things that happen. And, and I think to myself, did that happen or was it a dream? I've even, even seen things like television programs and things like that that turned out not to be real and and i sometimes wonder if it's the mandela effect or if it's a dream and this confusion this blending of different visions of reality it's it could be to do with some kind of interdimensional effect caused by cern or something else maybe it's the change in the the change in the the heartbeat of the earth some people are saying like the human cavity resonance things like that it could be the um <clears throat> the strange thing they've just seen in the sky this what looks like a it looks like a the pattern in the microwave background that looks like a, a parallel universe actually collided with our universe in hyperspace it could be something like that um i'm not sure um but if you have m theory in physics yes everything's like a membrane like the different brains. universes are like membranes brains yeah and, yep, and they and I suppose even though our universe is three-dimensional, you can perceive it as a flat sheet floating through hyperspace, and sometimes it intersects with another. Mm -hmm. There's like a collision or there's a blending. And that's possibly what the causes things such as ghosts and other things. Because I, these things happen... Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's all right. I was just saying these things often happen in certain places to certain people, and it could be that we're going through some kind of experience where these things are gathering pace and they're becoming more common. And they manifest as strange dreams, as the Mandela effect, as people being confused over memory. Mm -hmm. That's possible. 
there's a lot of different explanations for that phenomena, I guess you put it. I mean, people, yeah. some, some groups would say, like the New Agers would say, we're, you know, it's an ascension and the veils are thinning and this and that, you know. Uh, there are so many ways to look at it, but it is definitely something happening. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, if, if there is, if such a thing as an ascension is happening, then that's, that's great. I mean, because the, the idea of the fall of man, which you read about in the Bible, is, is echoed in many, many other mythologies. I mean, the story of Atlantis is pretty much it's pretty similar. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, basically, in a sense, we fell from grace. We fell from a, in a sense, we divorced ourselves from the spiritual part of the world. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can find our way back to that. It's interesting that we have these different ages, which ancient mythologies talked about, such as the Mayan calendar, and also the transition from to the age of Aquarius. And I'm not going to I'm not going to sing the song, but you know. No, I get you. Uh, and the whole the the new yuga and all that. Yeah, and exactly. There's the the I think it's the the Satya Satya yuga. The Satya yuga, and then there's the Arya yuga, and mm. which is the golden age. Right. And. There's the Diamond Age. I think the Satya Yuga is the Diamond Age in between, which is where everything is like the age of transformation before a cycle begins again. Mm -hmm. And it's funny if we are on that point now, and Laura Knight Yachik has written about this on Sock.net, um, that we are, and essentially these different cycles from different mythologies in different parts of the world, these different cycles are having turning points at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, it's almost like a meta cycle. Like all these cycles are lining up for you know, a final reboot. Yeah, and it won't be like, I mean, things the Christians will perceive this as the rapture and the second coming and things right. like that. They'll say, they'll say that that's what it is. And um, others will, other, other people have different visions of this, which may not necessarily be correct. But I do, it does feel like, well, this is a pivotal point that we're in, experiencing right now. But, how do, but we, hope it is. how do we know that people didn't feel it was a pivotal point in their life in the past? You know? Well, they did, you see. That's the, the thing is that you find that this idea is prevalent throughout history, which mm -hmm. is why we may simply be, it may simply because it may simply be that again. Or it could just be the carrot at the end of the stick keeping us slaves. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just suggesting. Don't, I that's, don't... Something we've got to be, that's something we've got to be wary of. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, as far as the new age goes, I mean, the, the, these, there's all kinds of um, evidence Should... that the new age is, is, is controlled by the psychological warfare and things like that. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah. <laughs> no question, no, no <laughs> argument for me there. So with all that, do you, where do you think the whole of your, what is the totality of your consciousness? Is it, is it in here? Is it here right here now? Is it, is it actually housed elsewhere? Or are you just an aspect of it? Where do you stand with those kinds of things? Well, if you ask me to define who I am, I mean, if people say, well, Ben, what are, what is your consciousness? Uh, I would obviously answer that I am experiencing qualia. I'm in, I'm experiencing a sense of being, but I'm very much in what Graham Hancock calls channel normal. Um, there's a guy called Rick Strassman who's looked into this as well. Um, very interesting fella. In a sense, this is the normal waking everyday reality that I experience this consciousness. Well, I'll be, I'll be going to sleep soon and then I'll enter another period of consciousness, whether how much of it I'll remember, I don't know. Um, I do, I do get sleep paralysis too sometimes as well. Um, 
I, I, could honest, you go into the sleep paralysis a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I will. Um, now, I, I get sleep paralysis every few weeks, actually, and it's, it's not very dramatic. It's, if, it's not like what you read about in the documentaries. Um, I've never been raped by the, uh, by the hag. I've never had the little homunculus sitting on my chest so I can't breathe. But I have seen the big cowl figure, like the, the thing with the hood, the big black being. He's not, not, not the guy with the hat, like the shadow man with oh, the big yes. hat. I haven't seen him. Ca a cowl or a goat? A cowl, sorry, of like oh, a big hood over the head, a cowl, like sorry. Like a reaper kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's rather like the, the ring race from Lord of the Rings. They look like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. People have seen these all over, like the hag, the homunculus, the, the hat man, the, the hat man, the guy with the big brim, broad brimmed hat. People from all over the world have perceived these images in their sleep paralysis experiences. Even people from very, very different cultures, very, very different parts of the world. Um, now, there's only there's only two there's only two explanations here. One is that the brain the brain of every single human is hardwired to produce certain images under certain states of consciousness, which I think is pretty unlikely. The other is that these beings, these entities, have some objective reality. I think that's far more likely, and I've seen one of them. Now, m most of my sleep par paralysis experiences are pretty undramatic. I just wake up and I can't move. I look around myself and I move my eyes and I just sort of lie there. And usually I just sort of wake slow. I wake up slowly and I sometimes I go back to sleep. And I don't, nothing, there's nothing odd around me. Um, but at other times I do see strange things. A couple of times. Um, I also woke up once. And this is when I was, this is when I was with my girlfriend Sue. I woke up and I looked over and there was this, this old lady. And again, it's like a crone type figure. But she looked Chinese and she had, um, she had her hair in a kind of a bun with like a, like a knitting needle through it, like the geishas. And she had this sort of blue pat dress with patterns on, and she was hunched over. She was leaned over. It's almost like she was extremely old and thin. And she was just standing by the bed. And the, like the cowl figure, when I see that, it just stands by the bed. It doesn't do anything. It just stands there looking at me. So um, I, I, I don't have any of the frightening experiences that some people have. But it's, I get that quite regularly. Like I said, about once a month that happens. And so there's, there is no fear with those. You just, are they almost familiar to you at this point? Yeah, I just, I feel nothing now when I have sleep paralysis experiences. I just, just come, it's something I have, like I say, every three weeks or so to a yeah. month. And a, and a number of times I've seen strange entities and I just look at them and, and, and they, just, they go away and the experience ends. Uh, you know, something I just thought of that, we didn't ask was um do you have any i mean you you know of the military programs uh that target clairvoyant people or psionically active people yeah yeah, yeah. remote viewing and things like that and yeah and even like the my lab the whole my lab yeah. experience do yeah. you think you were ever part of any of that or yes i um i had a very very strange and disturbing thing happen to me um, when I was aged, well, there's several disturbing things that have happened. Several strange people have come into my family over the years. The, the most, probably the most, the worst of these happened from, from the age of when I was probably about 12 or 13 to when I was about 16. My, my mother, my, now my mother was a, a cinema usherette, and she decided she would get an adult, edu an adult education. She decided she'd go to university and get an adult education. In those days, you could do that a lot more easily. Um, and she went and studied psychology at the Oxford Polytechnic. 
uh, it's now the Oxford Brookes University. And then she trained as a counsellor and she had to go on a two week residential course in rugby, uh, a place called rugby, not the game. And um, she trained as this counsellor. And when she when she came home, she had this old lady with her. She, she came home and this old lady brought her home called Isabel and really old Scottish lady. Um, who And now Isabel, my mum immediately warmed her. It's almost like Isabel adopted my mum. Uh, but Isabel was extremely unpleasant to me. She was emotionally abusive towards me. She would uh, order me about. This is like, bear in mind, I'm, I'm about 12 or 13 years old. She would order me about, tell her to make her cups of tea and coffee and things in a very, a very rude manner. And the worst thing was that she sort of turned my mum against me. She, she would, um, my mother would behave differently towards me. And if I, my mother would behave in a very unpleasant way too, it was almost like she was jumping on her bandwagon. My mum would do the same thing when Isabel was around. Now, this, I, I remember thinking at a time, she doesn't do this to my brother. She only does it to me. And, and I was very, very, this was extremely upsetting for me as, as the age I was. And many, many years later, after this old woman had left, kind of left our lives, I found out who she was, this, this woman, Isabel. I wonder who is she? I mean, she was this old lady who, she wasn't one of my tutors, my mum's tutors, but she somehow latched onto my mum at this college. Her full name is Isabel Menzies Lythe. Now, if you, if you study the history of psychological warfare, that's an absolutely infamous name because she's, she's one of the founders of the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. We're talking, um, about, talking about Tavistock in chat, that's funny. Well, who, who I'm getting it? the chills from this. I'm not person? in chat, so I didn't know that. Wait, who's the oh, person? Yeah. Isabel Is Menzies Live. It's yes. M E N Isabel and then M M E N Z I E S and L Y T H. Isabel Menzies Live is the name of this woman. And the question I have got to ask myself, what the hell was she doing involved in my family? Because she was there all the time. Mm. She was there every day. She wasn't just like a visitor. She was she almost became a part of the family. And she was horrible to me. It's almost like she wanted to break me down. And I was only at 12 or 13. I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't into David Icke and things back then. I mean, David Icke was still presenting the sport. So what the hell was this old lady doing in my family, involved with my family? Good question. She's, she's a very, very infamous figure in the history of psychological warfare. And she was extremely emotionally abusive to me. And she used to make me feel very uncomfortable. Not least, not just because of the way she treated me, but the way she, she goaded my mother into treating me. And so when she was showing up around 12 or 13, this is when you were coming more into being an atheist too, right? Well, I was, I was sort of, well, I actually got baptized at 17. The, the atheism happened after that, but I was, I was sort of like an atheist at that time, really. I mean, I was, I was agnostic, certainly, at that time. I was not practicing. I didn't go to mass. I was yeah. not practicing. I, um, so I was pretty agnostic at that time. And you had that, um, right, I, I have late teens here where you dropped out of all that stuff, but you were, um, you had that experience, wasn't, yeah. was, you had that, um, a spiritual experience. Well, I saw the, the little boy, was that where I saw the little boy? Yeah. That would have been when yes. I was 20, that would have been when I was 20 something, um. Okay, I'm but trying I mean, to I'm trying to root sorry. her into your life. Right, she I, came earlier. Yeah. How about earlier. the fact that 
Ben holds a certain quality, which um, let's say demon-infested people don't care for. Had I, the question is, had I been sort of targeted at a young age for some reason by the by somebody because this woman, I mean, what the hell was she doing? Why, why my family? Why was she getting involved with my family? This we, woman who's like so infamous in, in this in this field of psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. I just don't know. I mean, because she's not she's not part of my mother's course. She didn't she teach at the rugby college, the, where my mum trained. She had nothing. She's never been connected with it. So how did she, she got involved in my mum's life somehow? And it's really weird. And she kind of adopted my mum, and she became a kind of grandmother, I suppose, for hmm. me, but an evil grandmother. Is there any military <laughs> in your life? Military parents or? Um... Um, I I was in the Royal Navy for a short time, um, for four months. No, that, but really, no. I mean, my uncle's in the army, but not really. We're not a military family. And do you know your blood? Are you Rh negative? I don't know what my blood group is. And also, sorry about these questions. I'm deeply fascinated in all the Tavistock stuff. Um, what about so I? What about um, any? Obviously, you're in the UK. So, but do you know like Irish blood? Um, my father. No, I mean my father was from a Bristol Welsh family, and. Um... My mother was a Dutch woman. Okay. So I'm not, not, no Irish, as far as I know. There's so much to do with the Irish and also Indians, American Indians. I just wanted to get that out of there. Um, and the little people uh, in, up in Cherokee and the Blue Ridge, too. Yeah, yes. So, oh, man, I can't believe this time. I can't believe <laughs> the time is... We, I mean, we try to keep this at two hours. Oh, there's so much more I want to ask you, Ben. I'm so sorry. I didn't even get to the end of the stuff I want so, to ask. Um, if you, I'd love, to, I'd love to come back sometime if you want me on again. Um, I'd love to come back. Maybe sure. I keep dream. Maybe if I keep a dream diary before then, you know, have a dictaphone or something. I can use my mobile phone for that. Actually. You well, you you've brought an amazing amount of dreams. It's it's unbelievable just in that. But you see how we Jerry and I do these. It kind of meanders, and we allow that. We, I warned we go him. Where it's, because I was a bit worried when Jerry told me you wanted to discuss dreams. I thought, well, I have had some wonderful dreams this week, but I can't remember any of them. <laughs> yeah, we meander around. So yeah. at this point, we probably do need to take questions from our chat. Hello to the chat. Of course, I'm not in there. I, do. I have it up. I don't see it. Um, a cult fan did ask if you thought that her involvement, uh, this going back to Isabel, was uh, some kind of soul contract fulfillment. Um, it's a possibility. I mean, that makes that doesn't make any less sense than many other ideas that people have suggested to me. Mm-hmm. Um, some people suggested uh, somehow I like I was somehow identified at a young age that I was going to be a bit of a yeah. a wayward program that needs to be needed to be attacked in some way. Uh, you carried the codes that'll break down this reality. I I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and maybe this is an attempt to sort of like pull me into line and they used my mother against me because my mother was never the same again after that. I mean, this is literally when she turned against me and she never got over, even though this woman sort of backed out of our life. She stayed in touch with my mum until the day my mum died. And she, Isabel died about six months after my mum. And she was possibly in her 90 something by then. I don't know how old she is. It'll say so on Wikipedia how, what her age was. But she that's was... deeply significant though that your mother this is really when the split with your mom happened right yeah it was when i was like during that period 12 to 16 yeah, yeah that, that involves isabel 
Yeah, because it was Isabel. Wow. It was. I think it does. It did happen while Isabel was there. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember my mum being so. My mum was very different before then. She was like loving and she got on well, and she she was very fond of me. And then she just turned against me. Isabel came into our family, and she just turned against me. She was never the same again after that. Um, Holy moly. Oh my God. I mean, there's there Mind needs control. to be more time with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my God. I have one more question. Oh, my God. It's uh, yeah. Oswald okay, Spengler wanted to know what's the background on your middle name, Emmeline? Oh, it's not a middle name as such. Um, or your it's a surname, baron. sorry. All right, surname. Yeah, I don't actually have a middle name. Um, Emmeline Jones is Welsh. Now, there's lots of Joneses in Wales, of course. So there's a lot of people who have double names with Jones in Wales. And um, it's uh, quite a. It's, I'm actually descended from a famous Welsh poet who was called Johan Emlyn. Um, and so he's one of my great, 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 great grandfathers or something. I don't know much about my, my family background. I know that my, as I said, my, uh, my mother's from this Dutch Limburg family, um, very devout Catholic. Uh, but my, my grandfather was a railwayman, but he became very rich. I remember like in, in world war two. And some people suggested that, it's never improved, but some people suggested that he was sort of like doing jobs, the Nazis, because he, a lot of people, especially in Limburg, supported the Nazis. It wasn't just like an invasion when the Nazis took over the Netherlands. Some people in Holland wanted to be part of the Nazi regime. I don't know this. This is just like rumors. It's sort of like a, a family, dark family secret. Oh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading about. The uh, the name Emlyn actually means around the valley. Oh right, does it? Mm -hmm. Oh right, around the valley. Oh right. It's probably I love that. the name of yeah. an ancient region in Wales. It could be. I mean, they call South Wales the land of the valleys, and there. Although I, I'm from West Wales, mm -hmm. maybe my family does go back to South. Sure, maybe you you know you were just the Jones from that area. Yeah, funnily enough, I went back to I went to South Wales a couple of weeks ago to investigate a UFO event or to assist with an investigation into a UFO event. That's, um, that was very interesting. Great. All right, I think that's all the questions I see right now. So, um, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, your well, work? Uh, please, I, I urge people to check out my website, Panwo H P A N W O Hospital Quarters Against the New World mm -hmm. Order. And also, if you on the UFO subject, if you if you're into UFOs or and Roswell and crash retrievals and exopolitics and disclosure, you'll love my books, my fiction, because I've written a trilogy of books, the Roswell trilogy, uh, and it's all about disclosure and what would happen if we got the truth about UFOs from the government. I've just finished writing the third one, the the, the third of part of the trilogy, which is going to be published hopefully as soon as possible. But the first two parts are available now. Great, great. Roswell Rising, a novel of disclosure. Roswell Revealed, a world after disclosure. Cool. And I put links for all those books in the show notes and in the description of the video today. Cheers, Jerry. Thanks. So, no problem. And if Man, you... you are completely charming. I, I'm oh, charmed. I wrote so three pages. <laughs> <laughs> I never, three pages. There's so much more to speak to you about i can't even get over that like i, I feel like you should be hitting all the podcasts right now <laughs> oh, actually I'd love, to, I'd love to come back and if you want me on again just let me know i'll, I'll be happy to come back we should have him on for our special project 
We should. This Tavistock thing is unbelievable. Plus there's st- other stuff in there I could connect, which I'm not going to right now, but that, that is unbelievable. It's, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, and I'm, I'm still reeling on that, but I thank you. You are utterly charming. Yes. Thank you so and much. And this was well worth my rushing around to get <laughs> out of bed and, 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 and be present. So thank you, everyone in the chat that I do not see at the moment. Yes, thank Um, you, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, we invite you to join us next week. We're going to have Greg Bishop, who's the host of Radio Mysterioso. Very, very cool dude. I'm very anxious to talk to him. So that's all for me. Talk to you later, I guess. Bye. (laughs) Nish? Yes. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Take care. See you next week.